Awesome God, we give you glory. Thanks and praise for this season of Easter. Um, Jesus, it's so good to not just celebrate your resurrection victory for us on one Sunday, one occasion, but to rejoice in it for a number of weeks and then truly to, to rejoice in it all the time. We're so thankful, Lord, that you raised Jesus from the dead, that we have him and know him as our living Savior right now today. And we sure look forward to the plan that you've laid out for us in Scripture to bring all things to a glorious close for your righteousness and judgment to have its proper way, but uh, then to have an eternal glorious existence for us with you face to face. We sure can't wait. So God, come now and we thank you for Revelation. The book itself promises a blessing to those who will read it and study it. So we thank you for the blessings you've given us. And help us to finish out strong now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, it was a couple Sundays ago because of uh, Easter and so forth. So let's go back into Revelation chapter 22. I think we'll pick it up at verse 12. We were, I think we finished in verse 16 a couple weeks ago. But this is a, a large portion where Jesus is speaking directly to John here after the, the tour of, of the new Jerusalem, the new heaven with the angel is, is finished, Jesus makes this really kind of a, a wonderful summary statement of not just Revelation, the end times, but, but all of human history. This is, this is what God has been up to. This is what God is about ever since Adam and Eve. Okay, so we like having really nice, concise summary statements. Amen? When there's lots of big, wonderful stuff going on all over the place, we love having summary statements. Here it is. So verse, chapter 22, verse 12, Jesus said to John, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So it all has to do with Jesus and God. Uh, everything that has a beginning, it had its beginning by God's command. And everything that has an end has an end by God's command. It's all in his sovereign authority. He's in charge. And uh, we're really glad for that. So then he's, now Jesus is going to summarize two eternal destinations. How that happens. Verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So that's a powerful word picture of what it means to be saved and to have heaven. So if you never, if you never wash your robes by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and the blood he shed for you on the cross, then uh, you don't get to go into the gates of the city. And if you aren't in the city, at the end, that's, there's only two destinations. You're either part of the city and you're in the city, or you're in the lake of fire. There's, that's... That's the two things. So this is an excellent summary from Jesus. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So that's one thing I think we're seeing explode here recently in our nation is the full embrace of falsehood, full embrace of just 
lies and um, uh, the illogic, the opposite of reason, the opposite of truth is just fully embraced. And not just fully embraced, but now there's persecution coming down hard and fast. If you, if you bother to go, this be idiot direction, this is ridiculous and this is not true, you know, persecution is really intense. So uh, we see the enemy in that. If you've read, I don't know how many of you are, are big readers and stuff. I don't, um, Jonathan Kahn's books, I'm not saying everything in those books is 100% gospel from God, but, but wow. Um, his, his insight from scripture and, and uh, current events and stuff, I find it really helpful and pretty amazing. His most recent book basically boils down what's happening in our country and the world boils it down to that passage in the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, when you, when you remove a demon from somebody's life, it's like cleaning house. And he says, if you don't fill the house with something, if you leave it empty, he says, um, then the demon comes back to check on it. And if he finds it empty, what does he do? He brings, brings seven, seven others along with him. So Jesus says that person is worse off than they were in the beginning. So I, I know there's uh, deliverance ministries and stuff pop up every now and then. They kind of they're they're by their nature kind of traveling ministers, and um, I appreciate deliverance ministry. I love setting people free, but I always kind of wince and hold my breath when they come into a venue and do like a weekend of deliverance. That concerns me because if people don't have a church home where they're getting you know, loved on and filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Word of God, filled with good fellowship. If they don't have those things happening, and they just, a friend brings them because they know they got issues. And let's say they get set free. You know, demon cast out and so forth. Woohoo! What if there's no follow-through? What if they go back home and they don't have a church connection? All that kind of good stuff. If they go back home and don't get filled and learn how to maintain and keep that freedom, what, what are we setting up for? You know, the potential is we're setting them up for worse off than they were before. And so I always kind of, yeah, I, I, I always have a concern about the deliverance ministries that, they, that there's follow-through for people. And so Jonathan Kahn writes on a national perspective. He's like, when Christianity comes into a nation... It's like kicking out the demons and, and all this wonderful God stuff gets established. But if the people will turn away from God later on, then he says uh, the demons are given permission to come back in, and they come back in worse off than before. And he's, he just says that's where we're at right now. Um, our nation in general, in some dramatic ways with abortion and other things, has turned its back on God and is actually shaking its fist at God. And so we've opened the door, and until there's repentance and return, that door is wide open. And he says, so the stuff we're seeing come in is, is way worse than we've ever seen or experienced before. And I think, I think it's pretty spot on. We're seeing stuff we've never, never imagined. And it gets uh, more raucous every day, it seems like. So this is, I might touch on a little bit in the sermon today. Sermon today touches on spiritual warfare themes. And um, so there might be a reference today, but yeah. So when the culture embraces lies and falsehood, 
and begins to persecute people who say, excuse me, let's, let's stand on truth, then you know you're in, you're in for big battles. All right, so verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony. The whole book of Revelation, it's not revelations, plural, like most people say, it's the revelation. The whole thing is one shot, one revelation to John. I've sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. So the root of David means the source of life and the foundation of who David is. That's the promise to Abraham and then to David's line that one of your offspring will be the Messiah. But Jesus is the root of David and he's the physical offspring of David. Um, pretty amazing, right? And he's the bright morning star. So star is a reference. Uh, in ancient cultures, the star was always um, a symbol of sovereignty, usually the king, um, and so to be the bright morning star is declaring Jesus to be king of kings, perfect, holy, pure, sovereign authority over all things. So can we trust his judgments to be true and just? Spot on? Yes, we can. In fact, his judgments are the only one we can trust to be perfect. Um, Even when we feel like our justice system gets it right, and it does sometimes, um, God always gets it perfect. So any comments or questions through verse 16? That's Jesus' closing summary statement of in Revelation in the Bible. It's pretty amazing. Okay, new stuff, verse 17. Now I'm going to read a couple of verses, a couple of sentences here so we can get the whole sense of... Uh, so it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So who are the Spirit and the Bride saying, Come to? I always thought that. I have always thought that. And then I was reading a commentator, and, and he, had, he came from a different angle. I was like, huh? So then when you look at the whole thing in context, you know, so, so go with me. Uh, here, I'll tell you what I think now. I think the Spirit and the Bride are saying, come, we're saying, come to unbelievers. Hey, you got to come to Jesus now. You got to drink of the of salvation and the water of life now before this summary statement that Jesus just mentioned happens. So see what you think. So verse 17, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. What if we're saying come to the people who haven't believed yet? Let him who hears the invitation to come to Jesus, let the one who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. So who are we talking to? Who are we saying come to? The one who is thirsty and who hasn't drunk yet from the river of life. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. If you haven't yet, come now and drink from the waters of life. Come now and believe because Jesus is coming soon and the opportunities are going to be gone. That's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? So I don't know. I know if you're like me and Janet, I'm 
don't know who else is in the same boat. I have always thought the Spirit and the Bride were saying, come to Jesus. That, you know, saying, Jesus, come on. You say you're coming soon, come on down. And Maranatha is, is that, that's the part where Maranatha says, come Lord Jesus, you know, sooner the better. But in the context here, and I'm not saying, we, <laughs> don't want to confuse you. So we are doing the Maranatha thing. That comes here a little bit later in this passage. But right here, it seems to be that the Spirit and the Bride are inviting others to become part of the Bride before it's too late. What do you think? So the Spirit and the Bride are two separate. Yes. So in my version, the Spirit's uppercase. So would that be Jesus and the Bride would be this commentary's thought? Um, yeah, so the, the Holy Spirit, what was the, what's the Spirit up to now? He's, he's drawing people to Christ Jesus. He's the only one who can do that. And who is, who is the faith comes by what? Faith comes by hearing. Well, who, who's telling people the gospel? We are. The bride of Christ is telling other people, you need to get on board. Jesus is the only way. Please, please join us. That's the, church. That's the church, yes. So the Holy Spirit is, is doing his business. He's working hard on getting people into the kingdom. So is the bride, the body of Christ. We're doing that in tandem with the Holy Spirit. But this is our, this is our purpose. You know, our purpose is to love the Lord God with everything we have and then love our neighbor as ourselves. If we love our neighbors, even the unbelieved ones, ones who are unbelievers, how do we love unbelievers the best? By sharing the gospel with them. By inviting them to come and drink before it's too late. What do you think? Does that kind of bend our brains a little bit? Who else thought it was always Spirit and the Bride were saying, come, that Jesus should come? Yeah. <laughs> For 30-some years, that's what I was thinking. Let him who hears say, come. So again, faith comes by hearing. They have to have not just ears to hear, but what? If the ears aren't connected to a heart that's willing to hear, then the ears can't hear. So make it pound on this with the kids in confirmation is whenever we come across this, when we go through the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this in Matthew all, all, all the time. If you get us to hear, let, go ahead and hear. And just making it really super clear to the kids, this is not about the physical hearing. You can be mute deaf. That's not the point. The point is you've got to have a heart that's willing to receive what God says about repent, believe, be saved. Right? What was Jesus and John the Baptist's sermon? Repent and believe the good news. That was their, the, the summary statement of their sermons. Repent and believe. So that's what we're up to here. The Spirit and the Bride say, come, repent and believe while you still have an opportunity to do that. The, the phrase, <clears throat> whoever is thirsty, I think is, is key too. Yeah. Yeah, good. So let's go forward into that. So Gary's saying, let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty. Let him come. If you're not thirsty, you know, you, what's that old thing about you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink? Okay. You can, you can tell people about Jesus, but if they aren't thirsty, 
They're going to walk away and they're going to say, not for me or not now or whatever. So part of what we're praying for is for the Holy Spirit to create a thirst in people's hearts and minds for the Savior. Which usually along with it, well, maybe almost always, always comes with that a knowledge of, I got a sin problem and I can't fix it myself. Sometimes that stages for people. Sometimes they begin to realize I got a sin problem, my life is screwed up, and then they try and fix it themselves, right? And then after a while trying that, they realize um, this ain't working so good. I, continue, I keep on failing at fixing myself. Hmm, gee, that's a problem. Then maybe they're ready for the next step, like cultivating the soil, right? Okay, first you break it up, and then you, then you till it and all those kinds of steps. So getting to the thirsty point doesn't usually just happen like that. Sometimes it does. But usually conviction of sin, an attempt to fix it, failure at that, and then realizing maybe I need some help with this. But then you gotta, somebody's got to present Jesus to you. Because I know what people in the jail, when they get sober and cleaned up and, and bored, if they know they're going to be there a long time, they start heading for the library. And they start reading all, you know, whatever's in there, Buddha, you know, Islam, whatever, New Age. Just start picking up books and reading because they're looking for what? Looking for help. They might not say, I'm looking for a savior. They might not know the, the phrase to put on it, but they're looking for help. So when they come to the Bible study, I say, that's great, you're looking for help. Be sure you're looking for truth. Okay? If you don't look for truth, you're going to end up going off in a ditch somewhere and not getting help. You're going to be worse off. But if you're looking for truth, you're going to end up where? You're going to end up at Jesus and the Bible. Because that's the only place you're going to find perfect truth. So whoever is thirsty, that's a, a really powerful thing to pray for people who don't yet have Jesus. Holy Spirit, kindle in them a thirst for Jesus, work in their hearts and minds, uh, a knowledge that they need something they don't have yet. That's what thirst is, right? I'm thirsty. i got to have some water. I don't have it. Where can I get some? Kindle in them a thirst for a Savior. Bring them to you. So whoever is thirsty, let him come. So that's, that would be step two. And we're not trying to put works and stuff, steps to Jesus kind of thing here, but um, thirst, but then you got the thirst, then what do you need to do with that? You need to bring that thirst to, to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus himself, personally, one-on-one, -on -one. and then whoever wishes is, is God a mean God. It's like, I don't like your face. I don't like your fashion sense. I mean, who, who can come? Anyone. What, what, what's the prerequisite for you to come and be saved? That you be thirsty. That you be willing to say, Jesus saved me. What a, what a good God. Amen? Any other gods like that that man has created out of his own brain? Did you see? Side point. I just saw last night uh, Minneapolis City Council unanimously approved um, permission 
for Muslims to, to broadcast the call to prayer anytime. five times a day, anytime. There used to be a restriction. They couldn't do it before 7.30 in the morning, like 5 o'clock at night. But they're supposed to do it five times a day. They're supposed to do it at, at dawn and then three other times during the day and then at dusk, which is often before and after those times. So um, now you can be up in Minneapolis and I don't know how they're going to do that. But over in the Middle East, they got speakers on top of the, the mosques. And at the time for prayer, and then some, what, what do they call them? Imam? And he, you know, get on your knees and pray. You know, Allah commands it. And then three of the, and I'm not, I'm not, judging people three of the council members are muslim in minneapolis so you'd have to have a lot of guts to be on the council and say mm, no i'm not going to go for that right because you'd be <laughs> your house would be burned down within a few hours in minneapolis probably but and then somebody a non-muslim on the council said when i've heard the call to prayer something like it blesses me it, uh, i feel so peaceful i'm like That's not, what I've heard, that's not what I've heard from Christians. Makes your skin crawl because it's a command to bow down and worship an idol, a false god. And so if you live up there, maybe you live in a neighborhood where there's a mosque close enough where you're five times a day you're going to hear the command to worship a false god. But couldn't God make that the negative out for good? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I'm not saying I, yeah. I mean, it's free country, right? Freedom of religion. And they made the case, you know, that, well, churches get to ring their bells like on Easter Sunday morning and Christmas and stuff. I'm like, yeah, we do. Truth. Yeah, noon. Some churches do every day, okay. So, I know this is a side point. I sure. I keep my mouth shut. But three out of how many on the council? 20-ish? I don't know. Yeah, it's up in the teens. Is it 13 or something on the Minneapolis council? So, they're the minority. Mm-hmm. Why do... Uh, were the others agnostic? Are they atheists? Are they... Pretty much. Scared chickens? Yeah. Christians? Whatever. Yeah. It just yeah. Amazes me how the minority gets the job done. Right. Minority and not Christian. Anything that's not Christian is getting high fives in America. Especially in the cities right now. Yeah. They don't want to hear any word of God. Yeah. What's interesting to me is uh, the Muslim faith is very, very, very anti abortion. But we never really hear their voice, at least that I know of. In the, in the abortion battle. And isn't our Attorney General, State Attorney General Ellingson, isn't he Muslim? Yeah. yeah. But he is, he is aggressively pro-abortion. Aggressively. So I'm going, must not be a practicing Muslim? Money under the table. Yeah. 
So in, really, that's a really fascinating part to me of the faith thing, because the Muslim faith officially is very anti-abortion, but we don't see partnership in America on that topic between pro-life Christians and supposedly pro-life Muslims. You'd think there'd be a partnership on that topic. Uh, sure don't see it. Just interesting. Uh, I didn't mean to th- maybe that's why we didn't get re- through Revelation for four or five years. Pastor Joe throws these bombs into the conversation. Squirrel. Um, so whoever is thirsty, let him come. The invitation is, the gospel invitation is wide open literally to everyone. Open to Putin? Sure. Chiping? Sure enough. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift. I mean, how, how could you emphasize the gospel more powerfully? What kind of gift? Free gift of the water of life. Doesn't even cost you and me anything. I don't have to pay a price. I don't have to write a check. I don't have to give him an arm or a leg, you know. Don't have to give him my firstborn. It's a free gift from God. So the rage, the rage we're seeing against Jesus and the Bible in America today, where is that coming from? Where's the source of that? That's hell itself. That's just the devil driving that. Because who, who would argue against this? If they knew the true gospel right here, who would argue against that? Only the devil himself trying to keep people from going to heaven. And that's what we see full tilt. So this is the invitation that follows... Uh, Jesus' summary statement here. Verse 18. So the, the witness and the testimony of Revelation and then the last plea for people to come to salvation, now that's all done, and now it's like John steps back to put his last little, his last thought on this book. Now, does John recognize that the book of Revelation, this testimony is pretty wild and dramatic and powerful and out there? He sure does. So verse 18, he's like, I better, I better put something on here. I better put a warning on here. Okay, it's like you'd, you buy some hydrochloric acid and you bring it into your kitchen you have little kids at home. What are you, you going to be doing? You're going to be... Let's be careful with this, okay? You put a warning label on it. That's what he does here, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. Okay? How serious is John about not messing with the testimony here? Now it's a wild testimony, right? We got we got beasts and we got critters and we got eyes and just all kinds of wacky stuff. And he says, if you think you need to add some kind of interpretation or what you think ought to be in there, uh, let me warn you. So this warning 
If anyone adds anything, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. John gets to decide that. John gets to proclaim that. Why is he confident in in sharing that warning with us? What does he know to be true about the previous 22 chapters? I think it's more than the 22 chapters. I think it goes back to the Old Testament, Ezekiel especially, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Those things came to pass. They were warned. Right. Yeah. Yes, I agree. So this, you wonder, uh, so this warning just isn't just appropriate for the book of Revelation. It's appropriate for the whole Bible, certainly. And there's a couple other places in the Bible where similar, uh, maybe not quite as aggressive, but similar warnings are given. Um, You wonder if John, did he, did he have a sense that this would be the last book, the last thing in what we call the Bible. Um, this is the last, this is the latest thing written that's included in the New Testament. This was around 90 AD that we think that he wrote this. The Gospels and John's, the Gospels were written mid-40s to around early 60 AD. Paul's letters were um, 55, 60 following? No, I'm just, I'm curious. Yeah, exactly. That's what, yeah, my ultimate point is, right? First question was, why does John feel like he can add such an amazing warning to this thing? It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, correct? And he knows, he knows this whole book of Revelation, this testimony, is from whom? It's from God. It is the Word of God. So he says, I know this is kind of out there stuff, and at first read you're going to be like, and he says, no, wait a minute. This is from God. I experienced this vision, all these things. I'm telling you this is from the Lord, and you better not mess with it. If anyone adds anything to them, these words, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. Okay, I'm not going there. If anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life. So plagues, that'd be rough, right? But here's, this is the ultimate kicker. What, what may happen? If God takes away my share in the tree of life, what does that mean? That means I'm in the lake of fire. Now, we don't want to go too crazy with this and stuff, but I but a lot of the preaching and teaching nowadays, I'm like, you're carving out places in Scripture that you don't like or agree with. You don't think Genesis 1 through 11 is true Word of God, Bible, real history? Aren't you taking away words from the, from the Bible? I don't know. I want to be kind of careful with that. I'm not, I'm not looking for opportunities to judge people and say you're going to hell because that's not my job. It's not my decision. God says don't be doing that. That's my job. But boy... 
some super sobering stuff, and I think there's a lot of folks that need to be sobered up with how they use the word. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, excellent question. And, and this is, John leaves it really general. He doesn't give us specific examples. And so I've always taken this, you know, for me, for us Christians to be really careful. This gets into the stuff where the disciples said to Jesus, should, should we get rid of the tares, the weeds? Should we be pulling people out that we don't think are right with you and stuff and and the lord says that's not your job leave them alone we'll let the angels at the end separate the the wheat from the tares the weeds um i know that we are supposed to discern and have conversations with people using scripture if we think there's messing up we're definitely supposed to be sharing what are you doing with that passage and stuff but for me to me or us to make the determination that you have removed scripture and you're on the way to hell, better know that in really clear and no uncertain terms. But I've so I, I I lift this up and Susie's asking the question, you know, we're we're wrestling with where are people at and what to what level is misuse of scripture or twisting it on purpose? When do you when do you step into this kind of territory? Um only God can really discern that perfectly. But um, I went down for those creation evolution debates at my alma mater college, you know, for three or four years. And I was sitting there next to pastors who were totally ripping on Scripture and doing whatever they wanted to with it. And uh, it was unsettling. It was, it was everything. It was hard to... Yeah. It was hard to sit there next to people who are leading flocks, shepherds of flocks, and know that they were just ripping on and misusing Scripture like crazy. You're just going, wow. You realize that we're held to a higher standard, right? When, when God called me to be a pastor, I was spooked. Because the first passage that came to mind for me was, teachers are held to a higher accountability. And I was like, I don't know if I want to be taking that responsibility, God. You know, and didn't see myself as a leader and all those things. I was like, seriously? I'll lead a Bible study with four or five people, but let's not be doing this 100 and 200 people thing and preaching every Sunday and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I know, just, just being real honest, like, like we just mentioned a few minutes ago, Right? For 35 years, I've thought Spirit and the Bride say, come, was us talking to Jesus. And now I'm like, eh, I, think, I think I was wrong about that. So you want to be careful not judging other Christians for getting a passage wrong or something, right? We, we, we can't be going there. So what does it mean to, to take words away from this book of prophecy? I don't know if I can exactly tell you. I mean, if they stand up, obviously, and they say, 
Jesus isn't the Lamb of God and he's not the King of Kings and he's not up there in heaven ruling and reigning with the scars from the cross. That's a bunch of bogus so-and-so. Well, then we can say, you know what? <laughs> I know where you're going. But we need to be really careful to not trying to get in the sandals of God and bring judgment on this stuff too quickly. What about the comment? God would never send anybody to hell. Yeah. That's really taken to me, like Susie says. Yeah, so Jen says, what about somebody who says, well, God would never somebody send somebody to hell? Well, good God. right. And you say, he is a good God. He's also a holy and righteous God. Which Bible are you reading? The Bible I'm reading that tells me about the good God also tells me about a righteous and holy God and there are consequences to sin and rejection of Him. So, um, yeah, dismissing, and that's, that's a really good example because people who say there is no hell and God doesn't send people, I'm going, you've got to get your scissors out and start hacking. Somebody said that 30% roughly of things Jesus said and taught about in the four Gospels have to do with hell. A third so if you're saying there is no hell, then you've decided a third of the, uh, the Gospels doesn't apply, isn't true and real, and Jesus never said it. And that kind of stuff is really, really, that's trouble land. That's danger land. I would say you're skating on ice that is in this ballpark for sure. But there's tons of Christians that... Those numbers are growing all the time that don't think hell is real and so forth. And you're going, you're not reading your Bibles. If you are, you're deciding you yourself, will, you're going to accept whatever makes you feel comfortable. And that's not taking the Word of God to heart. They think they're getting heaven by works. Yeah. Good luck. Everything else is irrelevant. Good luck. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And so the, the, new, the new fast track to feeling like I'm, I'm going to heaven is not judging anybody about what they think or say about themselves. So if you're nice to trans people, that's a, that's a virtue signal that I'm actually a very nice person and God loves me and I'm going to heaven because I'm nice to everybody. And I'm going, yeah, you don't, you don't get it. You don't understand. that to, to pat the trans stuff on the back is to shake your fist in the face of God who said in the first two chapters of Genesis, I make male and female with the purpose of marriage and children. The whole trans thing rejects God completely, rejects creation, His design completely. I can't pat that on the back and say you're doing fine. Oh, we're almost, we're past time, we haven't finished Revelation. <laughs> my fault I know it um, so we'll we'll finish off for sure <laughs> those last couple of verses next Sunday and, and go we got review and stuff coming up but maybe um, his share in the, let's see God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book so very clear um, in, in John's mind and in the Holy Spirit's testimony, if in the mind of God you take away from the words of this prophecy, then you are rejecting God as Savior and Lord and you're going to hell. You might think you're playing around and you're smart. The, the, 
the pastors sitting next to me in those debates, they were so secure in how smart they are and how we know everything that happened 4,000 years ago when this was written in the Bible and we know better. And I went, the one guy was uh, about Genesis 1 and 2 was spouting all this stuff. You know, and he quoted some book, an, an author. Well, so-and-so wrote this. And I was like, who cares what goofball wrote whatever you think is cool? God wrote this. Top that. Oh, man. Okay, we've got to quit. Last two verses next week. I did this just for Bob's sake so he could tell. <sighs> awesome God. What we're going to grab onto today, Father, again, is your righteousness and holiness and how we dare not treat that lightly. But the thing I'm really going to just rejoice in and praise you for again today is, is your gospel is, is open and available. You actually urge every single person on the planet to come and drink and receive your free gift of salvation. That's who you are. That's how amazing, wonderful, loving, and kind you are. So, Father, help us to share that good news, to pray for others, to get thirsty. Lord, bring in a mighty, wonderful harvest before we see you come on the clouds and it's too late to make that choice. Thank you, Jesus, for your powerful love and care. In your holy name we pray. Amen.